At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Online security starts with a click. NordVPN encrypts your internet traffic and hides your IP and virtual location. NordVPN helps protect you against bandwidth throttling from internet providers, where ISPs slow down your internet to get you to upgrade. NordVPN allows you to switch your your country's IP address to access Netflix, Disney+, YouTube Premium, etc. in other countries for cheaper prices. NordVPN offers unparalleled browsing security and protection from hacking of personal data. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash 5RSN or use the promo code 5RSN to get a discount on your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift at checkout. All of this is completely risk-free with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash 5RSN or use the promo code 5RSN and start saving with the world's leading VPN provider, NordVPN. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage? Looking for a reputable, fully licensed, insured, and certified contractor? Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. When a disaster strikes in your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. With over 62 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and Eric and their team is prepared to handle any size disaster. The guys are born and raised in South Florida, so changing the narrative on the way contractors conduct business in South Florida is extremely important to them. Their objective is to make cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed building contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require. There's no need to bring in other contractors. They will handle it all for you. Call or text them anytime at 561-408-7835 for immediate assistance. The number again, 561 561- 408-7835. Water cleanup of Florida. This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. Pick two or more players from the same sport or league, or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code 5, that's F-I-V-E, 5, and receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. Welcome to 3 Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. Simon Clancy is here. Chris Kaufman is here. The band completely get together again. This is, what, three weeks in a row? New record. Anyways, as always, this show is brought to you by Manscaped. Use the promo code 5RSN. 20% off your entire order. Use it. 5RSN. And, by the way, you should join OnlyFans. If you were on OnlyFans... Um, uh, very quickly, Simon, do you know how many people are on the planet right now? Uh, 743. Well, billion, you mean, right? No, just, the, just uh, the rest are just ghosts. Oh, oh. <laughs> possibly. Seven. 
It's it's seven it's seven point seven billion people. Fifty four thousand. <laughs> Perfect. Seven point yes. seven out of seven point seven billion people, about eight hundred and fifty were the only ones that knew that Cedric Wilson was a priority and Alec Engold was a priority. Now you ask me, how is that possible? Well, they paid three dollars a month to us on Patreon for OnlyFans. Get on there. You're getting good news. You're getting insight on all the signings. Uh, you're getting updates. You're getting some breaking news, some news foreshadowed, some, I guess, predictions. Enjoy it. Plenty of talk. Last night, there was a, a big back and forth about which city is crappier, Coral Gables or Miami Lakes, of which I was a, a part of. All right, Simon. Let's start here. Emmanuel Ogba, in December, on the same channel, OnlyFans, we heard a number, and we posted a number, that was eerily similar to the number he signed at. Uh, in December, we had reported 60 for four and about 32 guaranteed. Well, he got 65 for four and 36 guaranteed. So it's pretty close. Pretty good business. It seems like he really wanted to be here, and they got him right at market. You agree, Simon? Yeah, I think it was a good deal for a good player. You know, just, you know, it's a business and you could understand if he was let go. We'd heard back into the year that the Dolphins were pushing to sign him but couldn't get over the line. But it was good to to, to get it done. Uh, I saw a couple of hours ago that the Bills were making him their number one priority if he'd hit free agency. Um, Bills obviously have just signed Von Miller in the last few minutes to give you an idea of when we're recording. But yeah, I mean, can't argue with getting Ogba back. He's been a good player for us for two years. You know, uh, not just sacks, but strong against the run, sets a good edge, leads the NFL in passes battered down. So, yeah, top player. And, and also, you know, the people that said that Ogba didn't want to sign because he hated Tua, I mean, seriously, fucking grow up. Chris, uh, pretty good business all around, right? We ended up in the same place we kind of started in December. That's kind of good mm. news. He really, really wanted to be here. It's probably actually it's probably the first time in memory that I can think of that um, that they that they actually stared down one of their own guys. You know, he made it into actual free agency, started talking with other teams and then immediately came back to the Dolphins. Like, you know, it's happened where they, they sign re-signed the guy kind of last minute. But this was. I mean, I heard and I said on OnlyFans that um, that the Dolphins and he had sort of agreed to bring whatever offers he got to the Dolphins and and they'll they'll revisit the negotiations at, and use that as a, a restarting point, I guess, um, giving them the chance to match or, you know, do whatever. And it genuinely worked out that way. That's, that's pretty much, he, he reached free agency, was able to talk to other teams uh, and the market set. And then he came back to the dolphins and they said, okay, we'll do this. And, um, and that's, you know, usually if, if we let the guy get to that, that moment, you know, he's gone. It's just, that's just the way it is. But um, this time it, it worked out and we got him back. So I think, I think there's a, there's a sigh of relief, I think, you know, kind of, um, because you do want to keep that defense intact and uh, and he's a big part of it so yeah speaking of the of the defense uh, they brought back a bunch of their linebackers as well and Nick Needham got tendered so it's pretty much everybody from last year is back uh, they did lose Matt Collins today but let's move on with some some new faces uh, where do you guys want to start you want to start us off Simon uh, uh, Cedric Wilson. Uh, I think it's a really good signing. 83% of his snaps in the slot, 600 yards receiving. He's big, he's long, he's physical. The only reason he's not a superstar is that he played, not a superstar, but the only reason we don't know, people don't know more about him is that he played behind Michael Gallup and uh, Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and you know was competing for time with Dalton Schultz as well. Um, really interesting signing. I think it's going to fit really well. So, uh, yeah, big fan of Cedric Wilson. Yeah, highly, highly efficient last year. He, he gets his first chance, really, in the NFL to actually play some. Uh, he gets 600 yards, six touchdowns, but even better than that, he averaged 9.87 yards per target. That is among the best in the league. So, you know, highly productive receiver, really young on a modest deal. Uh, 
uh, your thoughts, Chris. I love this deal. Uh, this is one of my favorite deals. This one and the fullback that we will talk toward the end of the show. But I love this deal. This is one of my favorite deals that they came up with in the last three days. Your thoughts, Chris? I'm often kind of skeptical about the argument that, you know, he played behind so-and-so and this is why he didn't, you know, get time or whatever. But in this case, I mean, Amari Cooper is a $20 million a year player. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michael Maybe. Gallup, I'm actually, I'm actually a little surprised that Michael Gallup signed for what he did. I thought he could have yes. signed for more. Yeah. Had um, the Dolphins signed him for that 12 million a year, we would have been high-fiving on this podcast oh God, as well. Yeah. We would have absolutely, Um, you know, because even though I didn't think that we should dip into, you know, the high end of wide receiver free agency, which they really didn't, um, you know, that, that was, that was value is value. That was, that, that seemed like a value contract to me that the Dallas got out of uh, for Michael Gallup. But anyway, I mean, he's, he's clearly a a very good player, Michael Gallup. And then CD lamb, you know, high draft pick, very talented, very productive. I mean, he was a, he's a really good player. And then Dalton, uh, Dalton Schultz is a franchise tag player. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's what he is. And, uh, and so, yeah, he really, he really did compete. (laughs) He really did try to sit. He had to sit behind quite a lot of few guys. I think the thing to notice uh, to note about him in this offense is one, you know, his slot work, and the things he can do from the slot, the the ways that he gets open in from the slot, kind of uh, relieves Jalen Waddle of the roles that he played that kept his you know kept his yards per catch roll low. You know how he had a hundred plus catches for only like a thousand yards and stuff like that. Um, you know it, it, it's a product of some of the roles that he played. Well, I think Cedric Wilson can play some of those roles now. Another thing about Cedric Wilson that you're going to love if you watch if you watch what he did in Dallas is this is a run after catch guy. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to transform the offense into a run after catch offense, and and we're we've been talking about how you know Gesicki's not quite a run after catch tight end, and you know Schultz, Dalton Schultz would have been, but um, you know he's not quite, and Devontae Parker he's certainly not a run after catch receiver. So they needed to do something to really you know, start to transform this offense. And that's, that's where Cedric Wilson does. Uh, he's, he's a really genuinely good run after catch uh, guy. And the thing that I'm a little bit more intrigued with is despite combine numbers, you know, I've seen him work the outside and when he gets singled up on a corner, like I saw him, he's got a big catch uh, matched up one-on-one with a, a Dory Jackson, you know, and it wasn't something where Dory just like stumbled or made a mistake or something like that. He just he just ran a uh, a deep fade against Dory in single coverage and and you know really beat him beat him beat him pretty good. And um and so he can work the outside and do some things vertically that probably people aren't really appreciating. Uh, he did things vertically from the slot down the middle of the field. Um, and I think that that was a, a big way that he uh that he that he affected the game and i think a lot of people because they see the highlights you know they see the the throwing you know he's got he's got a hell of an arm (laughs) yes um, he does and and he and he does throw the ball and they've done some weird stuff with him in dallas like you know they they've they've given him the ball on like uh they gave him they had him run i think it was a drag route or something and um and and got the ball to him and as he was running toward the sidelines you know at a full you know, at a full clip, he tosses the ball to like a running back toward the side that that was kind of hanging back toward the sideline, ready to ju- I'd just run vertically. And and that would have been a big play. He actually screwed up that throw. But some of the uh, some of the other highlights you see, like the throws that he has made are like really eye-opening yes. <laughs> for a skill player. Um, you know, he's done it on kickoff returns. It's it's, it's really uh, fascinating. But, uh, but I think in the Dolphins offense, I talked about how versatility needs more versatility. So Jalen Waddell is a versatile guy. He can play X. He can play, uh, he can play from the slot. He can play Z. Uh, he can do things in the backfield, jet sweeps and whatnot. Well, Cedric Wilson is a versatile complement. So he can work in the slot. He can also work in the outside. He can also you know, do things and run after catch situations. Um, so, and Mike Gesicki, it, it complements well with him too, because obviously Gesicki is, 
works the slot like a wide receiver. He could work the outside like a wide receiver. He can be in line uh, as a tight end. Um, he's done. He's done a lot of different things. So they're they've got these pieces that they can move all around now and find matchups and and take advantage of things. And um, we're starting to see it really take shape now. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And he ran a, a four five five at the combine. But speaking to somebody uh, connected with the Dallas Cowboys, he tells me, you know, forget that number. Uh, you watch him play; he just looks faster. He and he plays faster. I um, was surprised by that number when I when I saw it because I watched him on tape and I was like, oh, this guy's this guy's a vertical threat. You yeah, know? and it's always great to talk to a Dolphin fan and somebody actually connected with the team, and they're actually mad that they lose a guy. You know what I mean? It's always a good thing. All right, Simon, uh, staying with the offense, your thoughts on Chase Edmonds. How does he fit, and what kind of player is he? He's fast. Uh, he fits the he fits the scheme perfectly. He's twitchy. Um, he can line up all over. He can play him out of the backfield. He can take jet sweeps. He's got good hands. He's decent blocking. He can play out the slot. Um, he's got slippery hips. He's got, you know, some juice to the second level. He's got excellent vision. He's a real sort of jump cut, cutback runner, a uh, good contact balance. Uh, he's a good player. 6.1 million guaranteed. Well, what's not to love about that? Yeah. Like if, you know, I, I was talking to somebody uh, this week and they were asking me, I was actually on the uh, the Donald show and he was asking me, oh, did they pay overpay a little bit? And I'm like, well, you know, if, if you're going to compare him to other running backs in the league, yeah, maybe they paid two million more guarantee than they should have. The cap's what, 203 million or 208 million? Like, if you're worried about two million in guaranteed money over two years, you know, you're worrying about the wrong things. He's, he's a productive player. He's at 5.7 yards per touch for three consecutive seasons. Yes. You know, he's a good people player. talk about trading a first round pick for Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> who in his best three seasons had a career yards per touch of 5.8 yards per carry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, let's kind of keep it in. Uh, it, it's 6.1 million. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It. He's yeah. also fast. As, he's fast as fuck. I mean, he's, he's reached. I think I saw that he reached 23 or 21.3 miles an hour, uh, the fastest timed run. He had 20 carries of 10 yards or more last year. I mean, come on. When was the last time we had a running back who had 20 10-yard carries? I mean, maybe we haven't had 20 10-yard carries since about 2005. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh- and 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 I don't think I don't think they're done there either. Okay, no, of course and, not. You know they'll, they'll they'll finish off in the draft. I'm sure. You mm-hmm. know, he's not a he's not an every down back, but he's a. It's typical of San Francisco when you go back and you look at Jeff Turner and Raheem Mostert and you know Matt Breeder awesome. and all, all those backs that they've had through that system. You know, it, it, it's a running back by committee system generally for the most part. You know, um, and so I fully expect them to come out of the, the draft with one or maybe two more backs, you know, guys that fit the scheme, Rashad White, Pierre Strong, people like that. So, yeah, I don't think they've done at the position at all, but this is a, um, you know, this is a good player. Yeah, and, and Raheem Oster is still out there, and you never know if they're going to dip right back into free agency to go get another back because they're going to use bodies for sure. We know that they floated an offer to, to Duke Johnson, and that's gone unanswered so far. Who knows if they pulled it? But your thoughts, Chris, Chase Edmonds, nice player. Well, I think it was a, an interesting, you know, we're just kind of like sitting down with the popcorn and waiting to see because we know that, uh, that Mike McDaniel has very sp- specific criteria uh, for what they want to see in a running back in that system. You know, and, and he's talked about he's talked about the this, he's described it like he's he's not revealed exactly what those criteria are, but he's described how he's um, how he's told the uh, scouting department and, and presented actually, you know, had had actual presentation uh, to them about what what they, they need to see. Uh, so you're kind of waiting. You're like you see this running back group in free agency. You're like, well, who fits, you know, and everybody, everybody's kind of reaching for the easy stuff. Like, uh, well, we'll, we'll just pick guys from the 49ers, Raheem mm-hmm. Mostert, Jeff Olson, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that uh, it was interesting to, you know, just find out, okay, well, which guy is he going to pick? And then when he did, it's like, wow, you know, you kind of, you, you picked a real, you picked a real interesting, uh, you know, kind of underrated player who, 
as Simon said, gained a lot of yards per carry. Um, I've seen other advanced analytics that said his yards, his yards over expected, um, you know, via situation were among the amongst the highest in the league, you know, and um, and he's got a lot of shake to him. He's got a lot of speed. Uh, he can catch out of the backfield. Uh, he's he's a very dangerous weapon uh, that way, uh, catching balls out of the backfield. And and another underrated thing, he he blocks. You know, he blocks really well. Uh, even though he's a smaller guy, he's only five foot nine, maybe two hundred ten pounds, something like that. Um, but he blocks really well. And so you're you're looking at it, and it's like, well, yeah, they the whether it was Mike McDaniel or the front office, front office, you know, this probably a joint effort, but they picked an interesting one. And, um, and so I, I think the other thing that I would highlight about it is this shows that the, uh, the offense that Mike McDaniel comes from the Kyle Shanahan offense is sort of this, this wide zone system. They've really been leaning towards speed lately. Um, you know, as, as the years have gone by, you know, I think, cause if you go back to the Mike Shanahan offenses in Denver, I don't think that was necessarily, necessarily the case. If you think about, you know, guys that kind of came out of nowhere, um, to, to be excellent performers in the system, uh, you, you go back to, um, you know, Terrell Davis or, uh, or when they, it just seemed like they, they would find guys out of nowhere, like Orlandis Gary and Mike Anderson, and then Washington, I think like Alfred Morris and, and Alfred Morris, I think coming out of the draft was even considered sort of a hybrid running back fullback uh, as was Mike Anderson back in, in Denver. Uh, the, it's really evolved, you know, this system to where they want speed. They want speed. To the and this is why you see Debo Samuel in the backfield taking, taking snaps. Right. Um, and to that, uh, you know, to that end, I thought maybe they're interested in Corderell Patterson, who knows? Um, so it, it, they're leaning towards speed and Chase Edmonds, you know, front and center of, of that in this free agent class, as Simon said, you know, he reaches speeds that are very impressive when you do the, um, when you do the, the catapult technology type, um, type stuff and, and measure their uh, measure the, the player's speed via the RFID chips on the, in their, uh, in their pads. So um, I, I think it, I think it just highlights that, that trend and, uh, and it's, it should be instructive for what they're looking for in the draft. Yeah. And they had Kellen Moore in here uh, to interview for the job. I wonder if they really mind them for Dallas Cowboys because they're kind of in on a lot of them and they signed two of them. And one of them is an offensive lineman, Connor Williams. Now, I understand. And I went out there with my concerns because I felt, and if you watched enough Cowboy games last year, and I'll start with Simon here. Uh, he knows a lot about this player, by the way. Uh, he spoke to him uh, about him when he was coming out. Connor Williams last year, if you watched him play, you realize, okay, this is a talent. This is a really good player. He's a really good fit. But last year, his penalty issues last year were just ridiculous. 15 penalties, 15 penalties and 17, 17. Well, I have them for 15 here. Um, It was 17. Yeah, it was 17. (laughs) Okay. I have 15 and 14 starts. So maybe the, the, the games he didn't start, he had the two, the other two, like that's ridiculous. That's borderline unplayable. But when he does play, it was just, I guess it was a thing that happened last year because every other year he's under five penalties each year, but I guess let's just kick it off here. They finally got an offensive lineman. Obviously, he has to play left guard, right? Unless I hope that they're not thinking about trying to kick him out to tackle. I think that's the left guard. Simon, your thoughts on Connor Williams? Where does he ultimately play? And your thoughts on his penalty issue? Um, I think he plays left guard. I can't see him playing left tackle. I think he's already the best offensive lineman that the Dolphins have, which isn't saying much. I thought he was... He seems to flutter between really good seasons and sort of slightly mediocre seasons. Um, His 2016 tape, I thought, was superb. I didn't think his 2017 tape was up to much. And I think he's kind of bounced around between being pretty good and sort of okay for the Cowboys. The penalties obviously are a massive issue. Um, But I I also think systematically, I, I think that as Zeke Elliott has become less quick and has lost any 
or all of that twitch that he had, uh, the Cowboys have essentially become almost a completely pure inside zone team. And I actually think he's better as a move guy. Mm. I think he his footwork has always been good. I thought his footwork was good laterally at, at Texas. I thought he, you know, he's good at getting out, gaining position. He can secure those play side blocks. Uh, I like him in space. I think he does well with moving targets. Um, he's mean. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if we can get him back playing that outside zone scheme, I think he works pretty well. And I wonder whether or not feels a bit like the Lake and Tomlinson thing in terms of Tomlinson was a little bit up and down um, first contract and then went to San Francisco and became, you know, a top 10 guard in the league. And you kind of wonder whether or not the same thing might happen here, you know, kind of athletic, big, physical, great leader, you know, lean, um, good hands, uh, all those sorts of things. Um, and I wonder if they kind of view it as the same sort of situation. You know, you pop in between uh, Teron Armstead and uh, JC Tretter or Teron Armstead and Tyler Linderbaum. And I think, you know, you could really be onto something. But, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to go into the season with Connor Williams still as your best player. On the yeah, line. and that's, that's foreshadowing toward the, the end of this show. But, yeah, Chris... Uh... Connor Williams, you know, not without warts, but I don't know. It, maybe you saw it in tape. What happened last year? Like, that's just all well, it's it's. Uh, so first off, um, it's sort of it's sort of like when you say warts, let's keep in mind the 17 penalties, really problematic, really unacceptable, uh, really costly. Every single one of those is basically like a sack. Think of it mm-hmm. like that. So think of think of them as almost like giving up 17 sacks last year. Um, because, I hate to interrupt you, but but you know, for you PFF heads, uh, Connor Williams was off the charts last year. So a, as oh, yeah. far as a blocker, he was really really good. So well, that's yeah. and that's what I was going to get to. It's sort mm-hmm. of like if you're just watching the tape, though, and you, you know, you're just you're just watching him. You're just saying, okay, what is what is he good at? What is he you know what does he struggle with? What is um what kind of effort is he giving? Um, you see the explosiveness off the snap. You see uh, his ability to deliver deliver the blow and and really um, move some people with explosively. You see his uh, his lateral mobility, uh, his ability in space. You see his ability to uh, to seal people off. You see his temperament uh, as far as continuing to work the play all the way to the finish, which I think probably attracted Miami to him in this particular system because you just always need to keep 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 finding work um in the in the zone especially the wide zone so uh you see all of that and you're just like wow this is a he has the ability and no i would not say this about every uh, about every guard certainly not um i would say this about very few of them actually he has the ability to be an elite level guard just by looking if you look at the ability like the explosiveness, the agility, the um, the way he moves his body, the control that he has, uh, he he is he he's really potentially that good. Uh, but then, it, but in order to say all that, you have to ignore the seventeen penalties, and it's sort of, sort of like aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like to play? You yes. know, uh, and, and so I, I think that's really that's really what it is. That's that's how you think about this signing is like this could be an elite signing, but for something that is really, really important and really bad, you know? So, um, so he needs to not do that again, obviously. Uh, and the, the one thing that probably should encourage dolphin fans on that, in that regard is that prior to this, prior to this year, I mean, he had four penalties in 2020, you know, he had six penalties in 2019. He had six in 2018. You know, the, mm-hmm. these are normal amounts of penalties for an offensive lineman. And even if you look at this year, there was basically like a four-game stretch where he had eight penalties. And uh, and that's what got him benched. And let's face it, he was benched for like four games. Um, it, you know, he had he had eight penalties in those four games. It, other The other 54 games that he played most of the game, and he, you know, he was a very normal, you know, normal guy as far as penalties are concerned so what happened there 
you're hoping it's nothing. Just like like Matt Skura last year when he got the yips, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, as yeah. far as snapping the ball. You're like, you're like, okay, we're we're hoping it's nothing. Now it didn't work out with Skura in Miami, but certainly like you know Skura ended up on the Giants and started all year and probably did better than anybody in Miami did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, I think that's that's the hope here. I just know this: when you, you throw down the tape and you you look at it, you're like, okay. He could be excellent. Now, it would not surprise me if, I don't know if it's a desperation thing or whatever, however it shakes out, they may end up trying him at left tackle. I didn't think he could play left tackle when he came out of college. I was not a big fan of him there. But I know some people that, you know, had extremely good grades on him uh, as a left tackle prospect coming out of there. And if you just look at his, um, his you know, measurables and such, I mean, we are talking about a guy that does have 33 inch arms and 10 and a half inch hands. Like he's, he's, he's over six foot five. Um, you know, he runs, he, he runs a, you know, a five Oh flat. Uh, he, he, he had a 34 inch vertical. I mean, that's, that's tremendous. Uh, and 26 bench reps. I mean, he's, he's, he's a, a, he's a really good athletic specimen uh, with requisite, I think, frame to, to, I mean, it wouldn't be unheard of for uh, certainly in any way for a guy with his frame to actually succeed at left tackle. So if, you know, if, if you're a really good lineman, it's sort of like, if you're a really good left guard, it doesn't, it shouldn't surprise you if, if you end up playing a little bit of left tackle and it's like, Oh wow, he can play there too. Um, you know, because really good players manage to be really good players. And so it wouldn't surprise me if under some sort of bad circumstances or a non-ideal circumstances he ends up playing out there all right and then um rounding it off they uh, and we're going to talk about Alec Ingle at the end of this but they sign a special teams player and I don't know what this this means for Justin Coleman I would guess that Justin Coleman is is not for long I don't know if he's going to compete but Keon Crossan is now a Miami Dolphin and it's a three-year deal worth 10 million dollars which is kind of scale for what he's going to be um your thoughts simon on this player he was i don't believe he was the captain for the texans special teams but he's widely considered one of the better special teams players in the nfl yeah a friend of mine um a patriots fan you know played in new england messaged me when we signed him to say you just signed the best special teams player in the nfl uh i think at eight special teams tackles last year which would, would have led the dolphins in special teams tackles he can play on sub package units um, uh, he's just a, you know, he's one of those sort of uh, bottom of the roster types that has more value than a bottom of the roster type, just in terms of, you know, our special teams units weren't very good um, last season at mm-hmm. all. Um, so yeah, I think he's just well respected. He's a bit like Michael Thomas mm. in a way. Um, yeah, he's a bit like Michael Thomas in terms of what he brings to the team. Apparently, he's a really good locker room guy as well. Um, just a really, really good special teams player, and apparently a really nice guy too. Yeah, um, I know some Giants journos are like he's an absolute like gem. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think just a solid like, and fans are like, oh, who's this? And this is terrible. Yeah, you, <laughs> I think people really understand how it works. You've got to, football is about three distinct and very different units. You know, it's okay if your offense is amazing, your defense is amazing. If your special teams are shit. It's not going to make any difference because you're not going to win anything. You know, yeah. You've got to have a kicker. You've got to have a good punter. You've got to have a great coverage unit. You've got to have a good lead. You know about this, Simon. For how long was uh, Green Bay one of the better five teams in the NFL, but they had such bad special teams that they would rear its ugly head every single year in the playoffs in important spots? Green Bay didn't win the Super Bowl or didn't get to the uh, NFC Championship because their special teams unit was fucking garbage. <laughs> You know, look, go back to the game against the 49ers. They missed a field goal. They had a punt blocked. They had a big return. <laughs> yes. The only way the 49ers scored was on the punt return, on the punt block. You know, and, and it had been consistently... The, the reason that they signed Rich Passaccia as their special teams coordinator this season is because their um, their special teams were so heinous and, and Passaccia's a top three special teams coach in the league. I mean, go out and fix a problem. We had a problem. They've gone out and fixed it. You know, he runs a 4-3... He's just a just a solid special team. He's just a he's the glue. You know, these guys are the glue 
that that hold a franchise together. Yeah, you have your stars and you have your your sparkles and all that sort of shit. But you know, teams are built on glue, not on sparkles. Yeah, and interestingly enough, uh, I did some digging, and if you look for his draft, uh, like his draft introduction, which almost every team, like they have coaches do, like you know, uh, talk a little bit about you know this sixth round pick. Well, uh, the Patriots had one guy do Keon Crossan's talk up for being a seventh round pick for the New England Patriots. That guy, Josh Boyer. <laughs> hmm. So, uh, Chris, I don't know if you have too many things to, to say about Keon Crossan, but your thoughts? A couple. Well, first off, Justin Coleman is a free agent right now. So, um, so yeah, I I, that's that, what I'm, uh, I'm, I was alluding to. I guess they're just they're, yeah, they're ghosting he's, him. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's not he's not going to be back. Um in my opinion. Uh, and this is, this is exactly the thing I would say about Keon Crossan is when, when you have a guy that profiles like him, he's, he's really solid special teams guy. He's really good locker room guy. He's um, you know, he's, he's performing well in a lot of different facets. You, you're not really surprised when you also explore what he can do on defense and he can, he can do pretty well. And I think that he, he has actually shown on defense that he can do pretty well. And this is exactly Josh Boyer likes this so much. He likes to, he doesn't, I, I don't think he loves guys like Noah Igmanogany who's drafted in the first round. You know, mm. um, I think he loves undrafted free agents, seventh round picks uh, guys from Western Carolina, by the way, do you know what the Western Carolina, like what they are, what the, what the mascot is? Did either of you know? I'll, I'll admit something. I didn't know that Western Carolina was actually a school until you just said Western Carolina. <laughs> they are the Western Carolina catamounts. So uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a thing. Um, but anyway, like he, Josh Boyer, this is what he loves. He loves finding guys from that, that nobody else likes that he thinks. And remember I said, Mike McDaniel has very specific criteria about what he needs in running backs. And this is probably why they're ending up finding Elijah Mitchell's and, you know, the later rounds and, and such, um, you know, because they're, they're not necessarily the value that's recognized by other teams because they're very specific idiosyncratic to what we need in this system. I think Josh Boyer kind of has similar things. And, and, and I think that comes over that bleeds over to new England and Bill Belichick in general, look what they're doing this off season. Uh, you know, allowing JC Jackson to go uh, Stephen Gilmore is a, is a free agent. Like they're going to do a reset and the, the corner position. And, and this is, this is probably what they're going to do. They're probably going to try and identify um, those diamonds in the rough, coach them up. And uh, just like they did with JC Jackson in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, it ble- bleeds over into Josh Boyer's mindset. This is what he wants. Don't be surprised if this guy's playing corner, uh, not just, you know, not just being special teams guy. Um, so, you know, I, I'd keep a, keep an eye out for that. All right. And moving on, and I guess we could close here before we talk about some prospective free agents, but uh, there was a, like, this is a, one of our, one of our listeners, one of our patrons on, on the only chat dubbed uh, this off season, the great fullback war of 2022. It's a great group. And there's actually like four teams vying for the services of these guys. It seems like Alec Engel was really, really high in demand. Dolphins earmarked him immediately since, you know, when he was cut by the Las Vegas Raiders. He was their two-time captain in Las Vegas. He was a captain of the Wisconsin football team. And oddly enough, the Packers were in on him, but maybe they didn't do too much of a push to get him. But your thoughts on Alec Engel, I think he's, he's as good a fit for this system, as you can find in the NFL, besides one very obvious one in San Francisco. But your thoughts, Simon? Yeah, um, he, yeah, Mike McDaniel loves fullbacks. He's now about to become the second highest paid fullback in the NFL behind the one that Mike McDaniel had before. Um, I know that um, I know that John Gruden absolutely loved him um, when they were down there. Obviously, he's coming off a, a torn ACL. He's athletic. Uh, he's great in short yardage situations. Um, you know, I just think he's a, you know, he's a perfect scheme fit. He's got good hands out the backfield, catches the ball well. Um, yeah, I think, um, I, I thought it was a surprise that the Raiders didn't tender him. He's a team captain as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so another great locker room guy. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I just know how 
the Gruden administration valued him and it was it was extremely high. So so yeah, I think um just another really solid just a really solid sign. I think Chris Greer's done a really good job. Miami can't be helped. It's not Miami's fault that Teron Armstead favors going back to the Saints, which he clearly does, and he's waiting to see what the situation is with Deshaun Watson, and we may get clarity on that later on this evening. Um that that isn't Chris Greer's fault. That isn't Miami's fault. You know the Lyle Collins situation again. It, it plays into Detroit and Collins's best interest for for him to be released um, in terms of a cap number or a financial number for Dallas. But also Collins gets to choose his destination. You know people talking about Trent Brown. Well, Trent Brown's not scheme fit. You know people talking about other guys. You know Joe Noteboom. Yeah, you know, he was going to go back to the Rams because Andrew Whitworth ret- retired. You know. It, it's that's just the that's just the situation. People go, Chris Greer sucks. We've not, like I've had so many messages on social media from going, oh the Dolphins suck. They've done nothing in free agency. It's pathetic. I'm and I just think people have just got to stop being stupid. Essentially, just you know, if Toronto Armstead decides to stay in New Orleans or Miami get outbid, that's as may be. You know, it's. Not Miami's fault that somehow the Saints managed to clear $85 million worth of, of salary cap and the guy who's been there all his career wants to stay there. That's not Chris Greer's fault. That's not Miami's fault. If it ends up being Dwayne Brown, then that's just the way it's going to have to be. And, you you know, you look to next year and the kid out of Northwestern, the kid out of Florida State, the, the Clemson kid, Paris Johnson out of Ohio State, whoever else comes out of the pack, you know, that's just, how it's got to be but you know even an offensive line that that goes let's say for argument's sake Dwayne Brown Connor Williams JC Tretter Rob Hunt Billy Turner is significantly better than the shite we've put out on the field for the last few seasons you know is it ideal absolutely not is Teron Armstead Connor Williams JC Tretter Rob Hunt Lyle Collins better probably although you know it's a toss-up for me between Turner and Collins but you know we can argue the toss on that, but that isn't Chris Greer's fault. And I think fans have just got to kind of come, you know, this whole kind of, oh, you know, it, it's either one thing or the other. It's either, it's amazing, we're going, we're going to the Super Bowl, or it's all shit, just shoot me now. <laughs> you know, and the truth often just lies just somewhere in between. Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, I think this is excellent work on Alec Engel. They, they earmarked him. They actually got into a tussle to get him, and they got him. That was their guy. That, that was who they and, – and look, we had information that their number one target at wide receiver was Cedric Wilson. Well, guess what? He's a Miami Dolphin. And as soon as he got cut, their number one target at fullback in a system that's going to use a fullback was Alec Engel. They got him too. That's good work. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on Alec Engel? Well, I think um, – no, he's not Kyle Yushik. Um, use chick, uh, and I think that that's important to note. Um, it's also important to note that Kyle Yushik just uh proclaimed us to go 16 and one this year because of our fullback selections, right? I mean, he's he's clearly he's clearly enthused about it. Um, Engold, <laughs> yeah. Engold uh, worked in the Wisconsin offense in college, uh, which is very similar to uh, to what the Dolphins ran, um, and and so our what they're running right now. And, um, and I think that, I think that, uh, that plays a part in this, uh, incidentally, Michael Dieter was on that was, you know, snapping the ball as a center in that same offense. Um, I think that, uh, that, yeah, he's, if you look at the fullbacks out there, Patrick Ricard was who people like because of the story that he was a defensive lineman and, uh, he's 300 pounds and, you know, so, so on and so forth. Uh, he's been strictly a gap player um Mm -hmm. as far as being a fullback uh and there is a difference between a gap fullback and a and a zone fullback and uh and alec ingold is is clearly a zone fullback um so yeah they they identified what they need out of the fullback in this position if you're going to have a guy on the field uh they they want him to be a multi-threat and Engold is, uh, that's the difference between he and for example, Andy Yanovich, uh, who was a guy that I earmarked is like, well, if you're going to get a fullback, you know, just pay, just pay Yanovich a, um, you know, a small contract, like, uh, you know, pay him hardly anything. He makes the roster. You he's, he's there on the field to do the, what he's there to do. Uh, just very simple, but Engold is the only guy I think among the fullbacks that you trust to do that, but also, 
you think that he might be doing some other things like catching the football and, uh, and, and running. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, they, they probably went for the, I mean, he's got the ACL and that's a big, that's a big deal. It's probably something that, that maybe we don't talk about enough, but, um, but excluding that, yeah, they got the, they got the guy that probably fits the best and that has the, uh, the most versatile uh, set of weapons. All right. And then rounding out this, and then I promise you, we will talk about uh, the, you know, the six, five, 305 pound um, guy that we're trying to bring in here and is, you know, that we're waiting on, but if Tuatonga Valoa goes down for any extended time or for a game this year, it won't be Jacoby Brissett, Simon. It'll be Teddy Bridgewater that comes in. Uh, I think uh, that alone has already improved from last year's team. Uh, pretty good signing, I, th- I would say. Uh, best backup we've had here in a while. Yeah, Simon? absolutely. I think it's um, I think it's a really good signing because you know I don't think there's any guarantee that you know to play 16, 17 games a season and you're getting one of the, the best backups in the in the league. You know, he's a borderline starter, great locker room guy, local guy. I think he'll really help Tua. Uh, I think he'll really help Mike, McCar- uh, Mike McDaniel. Mike McCarthy, what? Um, <laughs> Mike McDaniel. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you can't argue with signing one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL when you've had a quarterback who hasn't been able to finish his first two seasons, you know. So, um, you know, if Tua does go down for any stretch, then... Um, you know, you feel comfortable or more comfortable with with Teddy Bridgewater than the most NFL backups. Chris, this is uh, well, two years too late, I would say, right? But I guess two well, years ago he didn't want to take what was on the table, right? Although yeah. I talked to his father at a at a pet voice. Yeah, <laughs> he gave me his phone number. I tried to call him for the first time in almost two years, and he changed the phone number. <laughs> so I guess yeah, I, I lost the source. He did. Uh, I think. La- last year it was said when they signed Jacoby Brissett that we just got the best backup in the league. So now, now all of a sudden this year we're signing Teddy Bridgewater. And again, people are saying we got the best backup in the league. So there's, well, we were obviously wrong last year. There's appropriate reason to be skeptical for fans that are inclined to be skeptical and that's okay. And I get it. I don't think that last year, I did not think last year that we pulled the best backup in the league and Jacoby Brissett, I was, you know, not a firm believer in that. I think that what we saw during the season um, matched a little bit closer to my expectations for him. Uh, I do think that Teddy Bridgewater is better. I do think Teddy Bridgewater would have won us some of those games that Jacoby Brissett came into uh, in place of Tua. Um, as you said, Tua is a guy that can miss a game or two, um, clearly, uh, and and not just because the coach, you know, pseudo benches him. Um, and I think that... Uh, so, so it improves the team in that regard. But the thing about it is, is also when that I question is when Tua has like a bad half, you know, Teddy Bridgewater has been, I mean, he played, he, what did he play 14 games last year? He put together pretty mm-hmm. good, pretty good, um, pretty good performance. Um, won some games and, uh, and I think he had like a 94 passer rating or something like that. Um, you know, when Tua has like a bad half or a bad game or something like that, there's, you know, there's quite a bit, quite a few doubters of his out there. You know, what, what are we going to hear? What, what's the conversation going to be looking like at that point? That's what I, that's one thing I wonder. Uh, also Mike McDaniel, the way he described getting a veteran backup for Tua, um, doesn't really fit very well with, in my opinion, with, with Teddy Bridgewater in as much as like, it seemed like he wanted a guy who's who primarily is going to have that really great relationship with, with uh, Tua and supporting him in the room and everything. And, and that doesn't sound like Teddy Bridgewater. Cause I know Teddy Bridgewater really wants to start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so he's, he's coming into this year thinking that, you know, Tua goes down, I'll have my chance and I'll be the quarterback of the Miami dolphins, which is a dream come true. Um, so you, that's, that's sort of not what I would have expected with him. But uh, on the other hand, Teddy is talented. He is uh, he is a good quarterback. He and Tua have a lot of the same similar skill set, actually. And uh, and if Tua is not careful, you know, a couple of years from now, he could be looking at himself in the mirror and saying, gosh, I'm I'm the next Teddy Bridgewater. Um, <laughs> so I think that uh, I think that that's interesting in that regard. 
Um, By the way, let me let me tell people out there: if anybody splices our our, you know, everybody gets that quote right there and tries to put that out there, I will sue you. Okay, so, <laughs> so yeah. don't try to do that. All right, don't yeah. try to cut up uh, Chris Kaufman saying that Tua Tungavaloa is the next Teddy Bridgewater. All right, do not do oh. that. I'm saying, I'm saying in, in a couple of years, if he's not careful and he does not improve, watch out. You know, I, I, this is because, because two, I think has already proven that he can play in this league. He's, he's not busting out of it. He's not mm. busting out of the league. Um, but, you know, is, is he, is he going to do well enough to keep a starting job and be ever and be some teams plan a, um, that's that's what he's got to prove. But anyway, uh, I think it is a, an upgrade over that backup spot. I do wonder, you know, I hope for the best with, in terms of the chemistry between he and Tua, um, you know, as well as the the national and local conversation uh, whenever the Dolphins lose a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope for the best, but also, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that. Yeah, and as far as uh, how well he played last year, absolutely. He played very well, and I watched him play plenty. Uh, uh, that Denver team would be right on the cusp of winning so many games. But, you know, a lot of bad luck. And their passing game wasn't all that great, but I don't think it really was due to Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, they had some protection issues. Their wide receivers were co- constantly injured all year. But he had a 94.9 quarterback rating. 18 touchdowns, seven picks, 3,052 yards in 14 games. Uh, yards per attempt, 7.2. That, you know, that's a decent player, decent quarterback. Uh, you could get by with Teddy Bridgewater if you need him for a stretch or to win a game because Tua is out. So I think that's a good signing. Um, Teron Armstead is, you know, that's what everybody's looking at, okay? And, and you know, we're in suspended animation because, you know, the tackle market is crawling like, Who's signed? Quisenberry signed. Uh, who else? Morgan Moses. Morgan Moses signed. Um, um, I, I think, uh, yeah, the uh, Trent Brown well, is visiting Seattle, but he's not a fit here. Joe Noteboom uh, re-signed with his team. Uh, Chucky Okorafor uh, re-signed with the Steelers. Um, you know, I think that you would look at. Uh, I think Matt. Uh, what's his name? Matt Pryor uh, is mm-hmm. back with the Colts. Um, and, uh, and your boy, uh, your boy, uh, Matt Gano. Yeah. Matt mm-hmm. Gano, he signed <laughs> with the giants. Um, so that's, that's really what's going on. But Trenton Brown is close to signing. I think he's, he's taking a visit with the Seattle Seahawks. And, and I think that he's probably I mean, the signs point to him signing there. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, the dominoes, the dominoes, tend to start with the top guy and that's Teron Armstead and he's not signed or done anything. So, you know, the market is still waiting and, um, and that's what you're saying. What's your read on the situation, Simon, on Teron Armstead? Um, I'll give you my read first. I think, I think he obviously would like to stay in New Orleans if he can. Now, if they don't have any money, they don't have any money. And I don't think he's going to give them a drastic discount. But they're in on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. I don't have a read on if Watson is there. That means he's coming back. Or if Watson goes there, there's no more money left and he has to leave. What's your read on the entire situation? Uh, I think he clearly wants to go back to New Orleans. Uh, I think uh, Miami are well positioned. If he decides not to go back to New Orleans, I, I think it's really difficult to tell what the situation is in terms of which one is better for us. If he doesn't, if Watson goes to New Orleans, you'd assume that's better for Miami, but maybe it isn't because depending on who they end up trading, I mean, what if they trade Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchick and I don't know, somebody else, you know, all of a sudden, you know, money's getting moved around and maybe they can fit both of them under the cap. Uh, I mean, they've got down from 85 million over to a position where yesterday they signed Marcus May for three years for 30 million. Um, So, you know, the cap is just a a fallacy really in terms of that situation. Uh, So I can't work out whether Watson signing for them is a good thing or Watson signing for them is a bad thing because, or if he doesn't sign for them, I mean, because if he doesn't sign for them, all of a sudden they've got, you know, if they had this 35 million that they were going to pay Deshaun Watson every year, then they've got 
20 million to pay to Ron Armstead. So, yeah, I mean, my read is I think we probably end up losing him because I think he goes to New Orleans. But I think if he stay, if he leaves, I think he's coming to Miami. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Uh, Chris, your read and what you think of the situation as far as Deshaun Watson is concerned. I think Simon mentioned it before. Um, you know, if they lose Teron Armstead because he really, really wants to be back in New Orleans, then it's it's really hard to nitpick the Dolphins about that. Um, you know, and and go down the list of the tackles. And, you know, as he mentioned, as Simon mentioned, Joe Note boom going back to the, the Rams because, you know, he's got a he's got a, a guy in front of him that retired. And so it's obvious that, uh, that he's got a chance there. Um, yeah. Toronto, I'm said, I, I said this, like I was saying this a couple of days ago, I was talking about it on Twitter on OnlyFans. Um, I, I thought it looked very conspicuous that Toronto Armstead situation is very quiet uh, as the new Orleans saints jumped into the Deshaun Watson Derby. And so like Simon alluded to, I can't figure out whether Watson signing would be good for us or whether Watson signing would be bad for us uh, in New Orleans, because on the one hand, it, it could be, well, they, they definitely have no money. And that's, that's kind of the, that's what it looks like to me. But on the other hand, it could be like, well, if they do get them, then it's like Toronto Armstead might give them a deep discount. Um you know, because he wants to play with Deshaun Watson. So who knows? Uh, it, it, we'll wait and see. I think that Deshaun will probably make his decision tonight or tomorrow. Um, it hasn't happened during the podcast, uh, but it is in his hands. I do b- firmly believe that. The reports are all that uh, that the teams that are talking to Watson, meeting with him, all of them had to present uh, trade proposals first that the mm-hmm. Houston Texans are, um, are, you know, okay with. And so that's even to get in, to get in, to meet the guy. And so I think from here it is, it is Deshaun Watson's call. Do I want to be in new Orleans? Do I want to be in Atlanta? Do I want to be in Cleveland? Do I want to be in Carolina? Um, so that's, that's where we're waiting right now. And unfortunately we're stuck waiting for Teron Armstead and it's um, it's, it's probably affecting uh, some dominoes on our end as well. But I, I do want to say if we don't get him, uh, you know, who, who else would we get at that left tackle spot, you know, and speaking specifically about left tackle and, you know, it's slim pickings, but uh, I think the most appropriate signing would probably be Dwayne Brown of the Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Um, he did play uh, for Kyle Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan's offense in his rookie year. Uh, back in with the Houston Texans, he is a perfect scheme fit. I mean, you watch the tape of him with the Seattle Seahawks. That's that is that is what he is. He's a perfect scheme fit. Uh, mm-hmm. He still played, I thought, at a very high level last year. I looked at the tape, and you know, I watched a lot of these tackles, right? And I watched like Eric Fisher and and you know a lot of these other guys. To me, it wasn't you know aside from taking aside to Teron Armstead. To me, it wasn't close. You know, Dwayne Brown was still performing at a higher level than all of these guys. So um, that's probably I would think that would be your plan B if Teron Armstead doesn't uh, doesn't sign at that left tackle position. Now, the right tackle is a completely different story because we're talking about Lyle Collins. And Lyle Collins, as Simon alluded to before, it could be that Dallas doesn't get enough cap room cap relief for if they trade him, but they do get cap relief if they release him and do it a post uh, a post June 1st designation. And that could be why they want uh, a premium in trade if they're going to trade him. Like they need to be compensated to trade him and take the mm. bigger cap hit. So um, so that that looks like it's heading for release. Uh, you know, kind of part of me is is really worried about when he does get released, if, if he's just not into it with Miami. Um, but I know that Miami are into it with him. So, uh, so, you know, we'll see on that front. And I guess the biggest part of me actually, and I, I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts on this too, given that Dwayne Brown, yes, he's 37 years old. And so you're, you're really worried about him in the medium term, like uh, less in the short term, I think, but in the medium term, like 2023, 24, what are we doing there? Um, 
but he's still performing at a pretty high level. Would the Dolphins be better off with Teron Armstead and and um, and Lyle Collins, and, and then having to do whatever at the center position? Uh, I mean, it's given given the need for experience and know how at the center position, it's probably Michael Dieter. Um, so let's say Teron Armstead, Lyle Collins, and Michael Dieter at center, would they be better off with that in speaking strictly about 2022, or would they be better off in 2022 with Dwayne Brown and Lyle Collins and JC Treader at center? Like, like consider that package versus the reality of the other package, which one would actually be better strictly this year? this which is supposed to be a, a an important year for this uh this offense i'm curious what you guys think about that that's a really really good question uh, of course i think it has to do with uh you know you know how much tread is on the tire of a, a teron armstead maybe if his uh injury issues the last few years if it's real or not if he plays 17 games we're getting a top three mm. offensive lineman forget left tackle he's top three offensive linemen in the NFL if he plays all 17 games. But then again, you know, J.C. Tre- I didn't expect him to be out there. He's he's a top five center. So I think either one is fine. Longer term, man, you want that superstar. Turn Armstead, he has three Pro Bowls. His injuries have kept him from, you know, piling up the accolades to point toward a Hall of Fame career. That's probably – that ship has probably sailed unless he, he has a very long – like, uh, like, like, look, Andrew Whitworth, nobody had him in the Hall of Fame seven years ago. Now he has a shot, right? Because mm-hmm. he finished up pretty strong, played like almost 20 years. So, man, longer term, Armstead. Uh, sure, next sure. year, Dwayne Brown, I would say, and J.C. Treader, of course. Your thoughts, Simon? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I can add to what you said. I think the other thing to, that people need to think about is trades. You mm. know, go around and look at, you know, left tackles. For example, we talk about it a lot. You go to the Green Bay Packers. You know, Green Bay have got David Bakhtiari coming off an injury. Um, he's age 31. Elton Jenkins is the long-term future at left tackle. They played half a season with Josh Nyman as their left, left tackle, who's a restricted free agent. Okay. You know, those are the sorts of conversations you have with teams. Um, uh, Taylor Decker is another guy. You know, Detroit invested a very high pick in Penisal and they want to play in left tackle. You know, what do they do with Taylor Decker? That, that's a conversation. Even, even Andre Dillard, uh, the, uh, Jordan Mileta is the, is the left tackle of the, uh, of the Eagles and is going to be an absolute monster, you know, if he already isn't. Andre Dillard has played pretty well at left tackle as a former first-round pick. You know, there's another player. You know, I, I, I think it's not just – I know we're all really focused on free agency and Armstead and what happens when you don't sign there are still potential moves to be look, he's probably not going to get traded within within the division. But Makai Beckton is another player who, you know, th- the Jets got really good play out of George Fan at left tackle last year. They're not moving George Fan at all because Fan can't play on the right side. He's purely a left tackle, but he's played at a really high level. You know, there is clearly some off-field issues that need to get straightened out with Beckton. But what if the Jets said, you know what, we're going to move Mackay Beckton? So I, I think the fans have a, have a right and a realistic, it is realistic to be angry, not angry, disappointed if we don't get Toronto Armstead, you know, or we miss out on Dwayne Brown, for example. But I, I do think that there are moves to be potentially made. You know, would you give up the 29th pick for Taylor Decker? I'm pretty sure most of us would, yeah? Because then you mm-hmm. Taylor Decker, Connor Williams, Rob Hunt, whatever we do at right tackle... And you know you still got a second round pick, you know, with some good sec- excuse me, with some good centers or some guards that can then kick over. So whilst it does feel like the world is crashing around us and the sky is falling in, there are still moves to be made. Will the dolphins make them? That's the biggest question that we've always had on this podcast, especially over the last couple of years, in terms of offensive line identification. Are they able to do that? Will they do that? Who knows what the answer to that question is? But I, I don't necessarily think it's the end if Terrell Armstead does not end up becoming a Miami Dolphin. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can't add too much more to that. Uh, I like what they're doing so far. I'm just waiting on a tackle. I, I think, you know, not to get, not to put the word desperate, but it's, I, I can't think of a better word 
I think they desperately need a tackle. And there's a great one out there. There's two, and there's a great one, and then there's a really good one. And then there's another really, really good one in Dwayne Brown. So I think any of those three, uh, speaking, the third one is Leo Collins. Uh, any of those three, I'm kind of satisfied, not, you know, enthusiastic. Now they get two of those three, and obviously it won't be Dwayne Brown and Armstead. It'll be Armstead and Leo Collins or Dwayne Brown and Leo Collins. I, will, I would be very, very enthusiastic. I'd be very, very happy with, with what they've done. But yeah, on, on the Leo Collins front, if he gets released, I, I would I would guess he's going to start taking meetings everywhere. He has some issues that team security would actually would absolutely want to look into. OK, so I don't think this is a guy that's just going to sign over Zoom, like bring him in here. Hey, here's 14 million dollars. You know, but, you know, here's your number. You know, here's 71. Wear it. Let's go. No, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think he's going to take visits. You're going to want to get a, a good feel for Leo Collins, see where his head's at, you know, see if he really, really wants to play football. And, you know, if football is his thing for, you know, longer than the immediate future, because what he did last year was not good. Bribing a, a sample collector, that's not good. <laughs> that, that's just not good, you know. So we shall see on Leo Collins. I think that takes a little longer than Teron Armstead. I think as soon as the Watson domino falls, we will have an idea of where we stand with Teron Armstead. Obviously, he has to be the guy that they want the most. But who knows? Maybe they have something else cooking. All right, that's it. If they do pull off something big, or if Teron Armstead signs, I'm pretty sure we could pop out a 10-minute podcast on Teron Armstead for you. But we wait along with the rest of you. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.